The downloads of this show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, December 12, 2017, and oh boy, did New York City dodge the proverbial bullet, or should I say pipe bomb today, as there was an attempted suicide bombing at the subway that, in the subway and Port Authority, that didn't happen because the bomb didn't go off properly. Ooh, well, we'll have some more to say about this a little bit later, but right now I want to wash myself fresh and clean from this day with this song from Outkast from their Stankonia album in 2000. Pendergrass, cooler than Freddie Jackson, sipping a milkshake in a snowstorm that put the warm in the dorm room at the AU. We pay two athletes my cake, but you must have been mistaken with them statements that you make, huh? And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
Yes, that was um, Outcast with So Fresh, So Clean from their Stanconia album back in 2000. And yeah, I wanted to wash myself fresh and clean from this morning when I woke up and turned on New York One to see if the R train was running okay and found out that somebody tried to blow up a bomb on themselves, suicide bomb inside Port Authority train station early this morning, around 7.30 or so. And um, the bomb didn't go off all the way. It only went off partially, so the person got hurt. They are alive. They are caught. Only three people, only, well, three other people ended up getting caught with non-life-threatening injuries. And it could have been a lot worse. A lot worse. Now, I know there's a lot of people that are, like, basically salivating, waiting for New York City to get hit bad for whatever reason that's going to advance their agenda or so they can promulgate whatever what whatever idea that they want to in the world. But I want to remind people, especially those of us that are in the New York area, that stuff has happened before. This is not the first time that the subway has even been targeted. Back in the, I mean, there was the FALN bombing. I don't know. I don't think they bombed the subway, but they bombed, they set bombs in other places in New York and people were killed. In the late 60s and 70s, there was a group called the Weathermen that blew up an entire townhouse across the street from Washington Square Park in the late 60s. And going all the way back to the 1940s and 50s, people, okay, like back, 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 there was this poor excuse of a human named George Metesky, otherwise known as the Mad Bomber, as the tabloids called him. He was a former Con Edison worker who had a grudge and... He left 33 homemade pipe bombs over a 16-year period in everywhere from phone booths to storage lockers to public restrooms and movie theaters. Yeah, 33 bombs over 16. It's like two bombs a year. Luckily, well, not luckily, but only 22 of them, well, only, well, 22 of the 33 exploded and scores of people were injured. I don't know if anybody died. I couldn't find it on online, but amazingly... Or not, there was even a copycat bomber, another Conet employee with a grudge in the 1950s that left another couple of homemade bombs. Hopefully that um, led Conet to take better care of its employees. And yeah, it even happened in the 90s. In fact, in barely one year after the first World Trade Center bombing, the first World Trade Center bombing in February of 1993, some man never a woman, it's a man, brought a homemade Molotov cocktail-type bomb onto the subway, onto the 4 train by Fulton Street, and it prematurely ignited on him, and it injured more than 40 people, four of whom were critically injured. And later it was disclosed, a previous firebomb he ignited on another subway car the week before. Yeah, he ignited another. So, like, he bombed it, he tried to bomb the train twice. And I don't know, to me, the best thing, best, not best, but the most ironic thing is I saw a post on social media that was captioned, panic New Yorkers fleeing the Port Authority after bombing and everyone is still writing. Only, yeah, everyone is still writing because the photograph showed people calmly, two by two on an escalator, just looking pissed off like, okay, I'm not dead, but now I'm late. And, you know, somehow I think that the person that, made that post was not a native because what I have found and hey it's only one redhead's opinion but that if you can survive fifth grade in New York City 
you can survive anything. And speaking of surviving, well, not surviving, thriving. Let's take a um, listen to this song picked by this week's guest artist, especially for this episode.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Nothing like Prince to turn a mood around, huh? Oh my god, I'm so bummed that he left the planet way too soon. Yes, that was Prince. Baby, I'm a Star from Prince's Purple Rain album back in 1984. And now, guess what, kids? It's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Everybody. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. We're here again sitting with one of my favorite people. And yes, I know, every week I say that the person is my favorite. But it's true. As you all know, everyone is Michelle Carlo's favorite on Fish Out of Agua. And anyway, everyone loves Michelle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with the amazing, illustrious, and accomplished uh, actor, writer, stand-up comedian, storyteller, director. Like, what else do you do? you sing and dance and I cook? I do sing, and I'll be a Don't Tell Mama singing. Oh, my God. I, I burlesque? Do you do burlesque? No. Do you clean houses? <laughs> barely. Barely. <laughs> All right. Enough of the hyphenates and slashes. Please welcome the fish out of agua. Rhonda Handsome. I am so happy to be here with you. So I, happy. Yes, yes. It's been, it, we've, we've been trying to get this together for a, for a long time. And, you know, now is the time for action. It's because, happening. Yeah, our days are not promised. So oh, I, yes. Yeah, yes. So Every th- day is precious. Any, listen, any, any, day, any day I open my eyes is a good day. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. It is. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of days, so we've known the, each other for a number of days. Yes. I would even yes. say a number of <clears throat> years <laughs> yes yes dare i say decades we know each other since the last century <laughs> yes yes i be- i believe it was the turn of the century and a mutual uh, f- acquaintance friend collaborator uh, that we knew called Emmy Gay. Emmy Gay, yes. Emmy Gay. Yeah, Emmy Gay had her tea party, and uh, she 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 was writing very political stuff for women. And very prolific political women's theater yes. in the arts. Yeah. When people weren't doing that. Not not that much, but Dixon not that Place much. was a big supporter yes. of hers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember us uh, rehearsing at Charles El Bojillo. Oh, yeah. Old yeah. school, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was uh, a rough time for all of us to get through, but we were doing our art, and that's I think that's an important thing yeah. for all of us to have that to hold on to. Yeah. It was uh, during that uh, post-9-11, yes, but it was a wonderfully creative time. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, 9-11 came and changed everything. It changed everything for the entire universe. Yeah. And I'll tell you something, Michelle. Frequently during the time that we're living in now, I feel like my reality has shifted because of the um the manipulation of fake news and uh, and the mind games that yes. are going on with the administration. It's hard well, to... Well, and also with social media. I think and, social media is playing us, too, to yes, be honest. Yes, it is. Absolutely. We're uh, just being played and we, played and played. We are. Played and like an accordion, a xylophone, and a violin. Yeah, and an oompa band. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really, but there is a, uh, a certain condition of mind control and... Um, 
hive mentality that is very frightening around social media. Well, for me. the, it really is an unfortunate yeah, the, this is like the wild. This is like the Wild West days of the internet. It's just like, I feel like we're in Tombstone, Arizona it at is, the OK Corral it's here. It's wild. It really is wild. And I feel like, personally, that sexual assault is horrible. And the only thing that is, is worse than sexual assault is a false accusation, which was done routinely to black men uh, on, on a regular basis. Yes. Uh, you know, Always. God forbid if they actually looked at a woman or if he winked or whistled or did not do it, a man could be killed. Uh, on a railroaded, empty yeah. accusation. Well, we, we could spend the rest of our time here listing the name of every single man that we could think of uh, for, from starting from the beginning of the 20th century that, that was wrongly accused. Yes. I mean, and, and I don't even talk about like the 1800s and going for. I mean, forget it. We, we would be here forever. We would we would not get get on with our conversation, and we kind of need to. Oh, I have so much outrage. <laughs> I want to bite this recorder now. I've got outrage for No, that, that's My what that's, that's what the so, that's what social media media does it just like makes you go Rah! all the and, time you know, you know Michelle it's funny that you say that I'm very excited seriously? about the art and the creations the productions the films the web series that yeah. are going to be coming up that tackle this yes you know well, oh, so much art is tackling it now yeah. you know it's just ironic that they call it social media but ultimately you're alone. It's anti-social. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Let let let's take the way back machine back. We sound like two comely curmudgeons here. <laughs> Get off my sidewalk. Betty, Nadia Kiriaki, ring. Okay. So Rhonda, um, no, since nobody exists in the vacuum, why don't you tell us what launched you onto this trajectory to you being this multi-slash hyphenate powerhouse of, of sparkle? Uh, and uh, <laughs> so like, um, are you from New York? And I am, right. I am uh, originally from Bed-Stuy, a Brooklyn Whoa. gal. Bed-Stuy, do a die, mostly die. Oh and, snap, uh, <laughs> what street? Oh, oh. Uh, Spencer Place, Fulton Street, Gates Avenue, Putnam Avenue. Oh, I I lived all Murder Avenue. There. Murder, mur murder is rough. For those who don't know, Myrtle Avenue was once called Murder Avenue. Yeah, but actually, where I lived in uh, Bed Stuy recently is now a multi-million dollar row. It, oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I have a whole sorry tale of gentrification, which I won't go into well, right now. Weren't but. there? blocks of those brownstones back in the day that was like a kind of Brooklyn Strivers Row uh, that were owned by, they, by they African were, Americans? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, and West Indian Americans and mm -hmm. just like, yeah. And But now they are, uh, they have changed hands, they have changed complexion, and I have moved to the Bronx. So. I do, y'all. You, you moved to where I escaped from. <laughs> yes, darling, I am in the South Bronx. So oh, my God. The, it's a whole it, new situation it, it's, for It's me. not what they're trying to call the piano district. No. Oh, so bro. No, God, oh, I, I don't know what the hell they're, <laughs> they're calling it, I but deal. that's where I am. But I started out in Bed-Stuy, good little Catholic girl going to Catholic school at St. Virgin in the Bushes. And, uh, For real? <laughs> is that the real name? No, that's a joke. It's oh, a, my God. I would believe that. I would believe that. I actually went to Brooklyn College to be a sociologist. I, I was uh, a sociology major with a minor in performing arts, and when I got to statistics, I said, ah, I've got math anxiety, I can't deal with the statistics, and I switched my major with my uh, minor. And then I went on to do puppetry with Jim Henson. Really? And, and yeah, the Muppets, oh yes, Jim Henson and Frank Oz taught me puppetry. And, I'm uh, I am genuflecting on the air. 
people. I am like genuflecting, head on the floor. Yeah, as I was with the Muppets on the first show of Saturday Night Live, and that is oh where I get my, my credit God. of Saturday Night Live because I was on that first live show with the Muppets playing Vosh, the scullery maid. And then I went on to continue in puppetry, touring with Pickwick Puppets and actually playing with life-size puppets and a full symphony orchestra. And for uh, a term or two, I was actually secretary of the Greater New York Puppetry Guild, the Puppetry Guild of oh Greater New York. Oh my God, I would never have known, and I know you for a long time. You know I, me for a long time. And I time. never knew that about you. Did you <laughs> Did you work on the actual Muppet Show? It's time to put on No, makeup. we were, we oh, were that was a, my whole, favorite show when I was a, a whole kid. new thing to go on to Saturday Night Live. I had actually had uh, started be being trained by them to do huge shows in Madison Square Garden in venues that were really big. So, wow. like, so like you were inside whatever the shape, it was more abstract, or almost a little bit like Mummenschanz, and I was very excited because it was a physical thing. You'd be using your whole body. And then one day I came into the workshop and they said, we're going to change our, our, our trajectory. We're going to be uh, using a monitor. So instead of my whole body, I was just using from from my elbow to the tips of my fingers and using my voice. Wow, that was is a big fascinating. Change, and it was kind of scary for me because it meant you looked in the monitor and then you had to walk or move the opposite way that the monitor showed you. And, and I'm, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have geographic dyslexia, so it took me a while to get that together. But then, I, you know, I did that for a while and then I felt like I missed acting and, um, and I wasn't getting acting jobs and I, I could still use some acting jobs actually. And I said, let me do uh, stand-up comedy because uh, I had seen people doing it. And I said, ah, I could do that, and I want the agents to get to know what I could do. And the stand-up comedy actually took off for me when I got uh, representation. And by the way, I am looking for representation now, but at the time I had great representation and toured with major musical acts like Diana Ross and Anita Baker and Smokey Robinson and Smokey Robinson. Yeah, what a cutie. What a cutie. Oh my god. Uh, Mr. Sisters. Green Eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really sweet. He's still alive, right? I, I yes, he, he is. He better be. He is. But I, I toured with major musical acts. I worked the Catskills and the uh, bungalow colonies in, wow. in the Catskills. Which don't exist anymore. Well, there's just a few of them hanging on. And then I, I love doing Vegas and Tahoe and Reno, all the all the resorts. And uh, I'd love to be back there because I made good money. Wait. I really made good money. Wait, 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 wait. Vegas and the, were you a showgirl too? No, I did stand up. Oh. I was always opening for musical acts I could picture you as a showgirl. Well, I used to dress like one actually. <laughs> I did. And you didn't have to send me a photograph. <laughs> I was one of the few women doing comedy who I, I always had on the false eyelashes and at the time I had what uh, some people called a weed whacker hairdo like it was six multicolors and it looked like uh, buckwheat on crack. And, oh my God. But it was very stylish and it was unique to me because I was trying to make myself individual um, from all the other comics who the women were, you know, wearing suspenders and... and well, they're uh, trying to look like Mork from Mork, I yes, guess. Yes, they were all trying to look like Robin I remember those. Robin I, remember Robin those I remember those rainbow suspenders. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I had a, a designer make all my costumes. I had lots of fancy couture costumes, always wore high heels, false eyelashes, all of that. And, uh, and one of my favorite things was being at 
Radio City Music Hall and, you know, come out of the train and see my name up in lights up there, Rhonda Handsome. You know, it first said Anita Baker, and then it said with Rhonda Handsome, but my name was so long, I couldn't even catch my breath oh, looking at that marquee. Oh, my God. It was really great. What, a, that, what an amazing feeling that must have it been. It was. It was. So where did you get this performance bug from? Did you, do you come from an artistic family? Yes, my mother, God bless her soul, my mother... Uh, was a painter, uh, 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 basically self-taught. She, she did try to take a few lessons, but she actually studied acting with the Negro, and she had a Negro Actors Guild card. After she passed, I went through her there stuff. There was a Negro Actors there Guild? There was a Negro Actors Guild. Is that Guild. The, like there was like the Negro Leagues in the baseball? Well, I, but for acting, <laughs> yes. It was segregated like that? Well, yeah, because oh, they, were putting, they were not putting uh, black people on, on Broadway or even off Broadway, and we had to make our own way. But my mother, and I remember one of my stories I actually talk about that my mother used to say, she went to acting class in the village with Tony Curtis and Harry Belafonte and I when I found her Negro Actors Guild card I said you know maybe that woman was actually telling the truth but oh she was multi-talented she was very intelligent and uh, she came from the rural south and she really made her way on the mean streets of New York and she uh, encouraged me to uh, express myself and when I saw what she was doing, I guess I, I, it was just sort of transferred to me. I, I want to know more about the Negro Actors Guild. So there was no actors' equity back then? I, or I, there was, was white equity uh, this, and black this equity? This was quite some time ago, and well, I didn't even know anything about it until she had passed. Long after she passed, I found these things in, you know, in her 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 um, her effects and it was it was really quite startling and also it gave me such a warm feeling about her and like I was actually carrying on some of the things that she had wanted to do my mother would stand outside our house and go you see that plane up there I'm in that plane on my way to Japan and she never did it but you know what my son her grandson actually spent three years in Japan teaching English and I felt like well she got got there somehow. She manifested she really, it. She, she manifested she it. She made it happen. So um, when I met you, you were directing. Yes. I didn't I didn't know you as a, I knew you I knew you were a stand up later. Uh, but you directed under another name. Passion. Passion. And my uh, website Passionetta, is directed right? by passion.com. Yes. Well, Passionetta at Excite.com was my first email that, address. That sounds which, that sounds like some kind of 90s like sex <laughs> chat room it does, And it wasn't really, be, but uh, I directed Under Passion, and, uh, and actually last night was a very exciting remembrance of all of that because I was the host of a, an event celebrating black theater and the passing of the torch from the artists who now to those who we expect to keep our, our vibrant artistry alive in the future. And I was with people uh, like Woody King Jr., who I have directed for his uh, uh, New Federal Theater ma many times. And the honoree of the night was Douglas Turner Ward, who founded the Negro Ensemble Company. And I was just delighted to be part of that because it reminded me that I was actually on Broadway 
with the Negro Ensemble Company. I was an intern with them when they were off-Broadway, and when the River Niger moved to Broadway, I went with them as an assistant to the wardrobe mistress. So I was thrust into a professional world of magnificent actors and had an extraordinary experience uh, at, at that time. And then to be able to honor Douglas Turn Award hosting the evening, he was uh, the main event at a night where people like Richard Wesley, a phenomenal writer, uh, was there, Brenda Denmark, an actress, um, Frankie Faison, Barbara Montgomery, I mean just a cavalcade of stars of black theater and feeling like I'm in my firmament, I'm with my, my theater family, and to feel so blessed that I had a, a, an opportunity to, to share uh, my, my life and my artistry with, with all of these folks. And I actually ran into um, Jerome Preston Bates, who gave the invocation. Jerome is not only a reverend, but he is an incomparable actor who uh, I directed in Real Black Men, Don't Sit Cross-Legged on the Floor, and that won, <laughs> yes, that won, and I know, it's a, real, it's a real moniker, but it won an Adelco Best Ensemble Award. Wow. And, uh, and so, and Jerome and I are, are working on another piece that uh, he says may go to Sundance. So, you know, I- Oh, Sundance Theater Lab. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, I really felt blessed last night yeah. and connected with my theater family. And, and, uh, and, and as you know, I'm actually new in the storytelling community yes. and I am having such a great time. I've been seeing your name in a lot of places yeah. for storytelling. Yeah. So you're really like blossoming in this area as, as but well. But you know who really encouraged me to do that? Nancy Giles. Do you know her? Nancy Giles is, has the mosquito at Dixon oh, Place. Oh, yes. She works at CBS. Yes, she does. My boyfriend knows her. Nancy and I go way back, and she said to me, we used to have lunch a lot when I lived in Tribeca. She says, you have so many crazy stories you used to tell me. You should do storytelling. And she had me come to the mosquito, and that's really what encouraged me. And she kept saying, do that's more, fantastic. do more. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I will always be indebted to her for getting me really on the uh, storytelling Isn't it amazing when, when a, people help each other, when women help women? I love it. You know? I absolutely love it, Michelle. I it's, do. it's just amazing. Like, so so many times, I think, in, in our lives, when we realize what's gotten us or introduced us to the next thing or the next step, oftentimes it was the encouragement of another woman. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean that they had needed to be like your, your, like your bestie or anything. It could have been somebody who was like just a marginal acquaintance you were having a conversation with over a bottle of wine at it's a absolutely party true. one day. And, and I am just so encouraged by the wonderful women that I know and the support that they extend, that we extend to each other. It is just yeah. super, it's super. I, I actually, yes, it is super, and I actually believe that we are in in the beginning of seeing the dismantling of that toxic masculinity culture, the way the Berlin Wall was struck down in 1989. Down comes the patriarchy. Little, little by little, you know, some I like, you know, somebody gets a um, a little claw hammer, somebody brings a sledgehammer, so some somebody's going to drive a friggin' bulldozer right through it. And some people have been going on it with a spoon constantly. Yeah. Yeah, spoon, just fingernails, <laughs> yes. fingernails, yes. fingernails. But uh, I, I hope that it's a sea change. I hope that it's yeah. a sea change for, for us to get together and be 
better to each other as human beings. And uh, hopefully that will come, hopefully. Now you mentioned being a mom, Rhonda. Oh, um, yeah. tell, tell, let's, let's talk about your, my, your my, greatest my, production, my dare greatest I say production. that? My big son, my big man is, is a wonderful grown man and he has a job with outreach to the homeless and I am just so proud of him. He's, uh, you know, he's working and uh, he, he, not only is he one of the most thoughtful men, that uh, that I have experienced. He's also very funny, and I love him in my life because I, I, I like to be with him so he can keep me up on what the young people are doing. Yeah, get, tell him to train you on, like, in, on IG. <laughs> <laughs> so explain a little bit of uh, how you were able to juggle your artistic life well, that with was your professional very, life and your mom life. Oh, that was very hard because we lived right here in Tribeca, actually. He's, he's still in the uh, apartment that he grew up were in. Were you partners? Then or, oh or yes, single? yes. His father and I were together for quite some time, and his father was a wonderful, wonderful father. And uh, and but his father, and I do say this with all due respect, he was very jealous of my work. And and that I, happens. And a lot. I feel I do feel sadness around that. I have to be honest and tell you how much sadness I feel because was he an artist also? No, he was not. The furthest thing from it. But uh, he he was very. And I think if he had been an artist, he might have understood understood a little more how self-involved I was and how self-concerned I was and so you know all of that me 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 it was very challenging and um, I remember when I spent some time in California I was actually doing homework with my little boy who was like I think in the fourth or fifth grade at the time over the telephone from my agent's office you know trying to stay connected um, when I was online waiting to pull a number at Catch a Rising Star or at the Improv, I had my son in the stroller standing online waiting oh to pull God. a number. And, uh, and it, 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 it really was a challenge. I had moments where I could actually be involved with his schools with the PTA and I did that as much as I could. I was actually president of the PTA at his uh, junior high school. But it's not easy. It, it really isn't easy and I, um, I'm, I'm sorry that um, my, what I felt I had to do for my career uh, took me away from uh, the, the isolation or the cocoon that my husband wanted to, to build for us. Wow. I mean, what, what you've just described makes me think about like everything that you achieve. You sound like the quintessential like woman who can do it all <laughs> that I was brought up thinking that Sorry. I could be. Like, yeah. I'm a woman, Anjali. Now you know how old I am. But, <laughs> I was what, very what affected by this because I have felt on the cusp of so many movements. I have to tell and you that. And what do you think fell by the wayside? Uh, um, well, I, for me, it was my family. You mm. know, um, and we're coming up on the um, holidays, and I think of the traditions that I don't do now with my family. That's very difficult for me. Um, but I do feel like 
there's a there was a trick bag with the women's movement. Uh, there, I think there was a trick bag with that because the, you know the feminists were pushing for certain things for. Uh, and, and I say this with all due respect for white women. I feel like in my life and in my experience of where I was growing up, black women were always very um, self-possessed. They were always mm -hmm. very forward-thinking. They were always looking to uh, take care of the family. They were working and all of these things. And when the women's movement pushed certain things, they said, we can do this. A lot of the people, not all of them, but a lot of the people spearheading that movement had a certain financial underpinning that allowed them to do uh, do what they did, that allowed them to mm -hmm. create the philosophy and to establish uh, you know, a, a lot no. of what has led to uh, breakthroughs for women. If you have a certain kind of support system, you can afford to to uh, act out. And explore. And explore. Because you have a safety net. You have that safety net. and um, But a lot of people don't. A, a, a lot of people don't have that. And I think we were trying to do that without the context of systemic misogyny, systemic racism. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's a lot of context that was missing and a lot of racism, I think. That in the women's movement. In the women's movement itself. Oh, well, even now, I get very concerned when I don't see the, quote, movement uh, reacting to uh, the death of people like, uh, you know, Sandra Bland or uh, the numerous, numerous black trans women who are just, like, murdered by the scores, you know, I, I don't... I don't see the kind of support of that that I would I would think would be current in 2017. But hopefully that will change. Hopefully, hopefully all those all those walls are going to be dismantled soon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! I feel like I'm getting the biggest education here. Ah, this is this is like the wow! I knew it for a long time, but I didn't know her at all. <laughs> so um, now your latest uh, project uh, thing that you're doing is like you're on you're on radio too. Oh my God! You have to I talk am, about this. I am, and uh, thank you for bringing it up. It's hell not, yeah! It, it, I am on a wonderful show. I am on John. Fugelsang's radio show called Tell Me Everything every Monday from 2 to 5 p.m. on Sirius XM channel 121. And it is the most thrilling thing going on in my life right now. And I have a pretty exciting life. John yeah, sounds Fugel like it. John Fugelsang is an incredibly uh, funny man. And his sidekick is Frank Conniff, who is just an extraordinary joke meister, very quick, very fast, and I have the honor of sitting in with them on Mondays. And what John has done to break up the sausage fest that is his show, he has women come in every day to rotate through the week, and mm. I get the first day of the week, oh, so Mondays. Oh, so you Monday girl. You so uh, somebody on Twitter said they love handsome Mondays, and I oh, said I, like I love that. the sound Hashtag of that. Hashtag that. Handsome, handsome Mondays. Mondays. And that's like a handsome man without the D. So if you could describe that show in like one sentence, what would it be? It is a, uh, an exciting experience every, every time I'm there. He has, uh, he recognizes birthdays. He has a wonderful um, sound person playing very interesting, pertinent music, all genres. That's Jorge who does that. But then we deal with current events, oh, okay. whatever is going on. But then also he has great 
writers come in, people who are dealing with history, religion, philosophy, science. So there's a segment where, you know, that's dealt with, and there's also popular culture and, of course, politics. Some, some days we actually get away with almost not mentioning the president. And then the last, <laughs> and then the last hour is called the, uh, the, <laughs> the attention deficit hour. And then other comics come in, and that's another treat. And then, of course, Frank Conniff is there, always with a zinger, always coming through with something that is clever, pertinent, and, and just uh, hilarious. And what are you doing? You talked about everybody except yourself. I'm doing my best to stay up with them. I really am. And, and I'll tell you something, Michelle. When I can make John or Frank laugh, I am in heaven. I sit there and try to wait for my moment to think of something <laughs> something and then throw it in there and when I see them crack up I'm, I feel like okay my, my life is made because when you are with people who you admire so much and you know they really have their game on it's it's just a, a, a pleasure to be in their company and learn I absorb from them so I get to actually connect with so many different types of people in a, a professional situation that I would never see otherwise so I feel like I'm in the right environment. I'm in a good atmosphere with people that I admire, and uh, I, 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 I could, I, I could, couldn't ask for more. So basically, you're just making your living, not shutting up. <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty cool. I actually I love said it. that I wanted to be a sidekick, and it's funny because you were talking about speaking things into manifestation, and I'm actually. I'm actually doing that now, and I have to say how grateful I am. Yay! And you know what else I'm going to be grateful for? What? To hear what you have prepared for us. Oh, oh my God. Are you going to do a story? Are you yes. going to read from, like, are, are you writing a book right now? Not right now, but uh, that should be coming mm -hmm. sooner or later. But I do have mm -hmm. a, a little story that I'd like to share. This is Reality Check. I walked the two blocks home from Kumquat talking to myself. That's nothing new talking to myself, what with the seven voices vying for attention in my head. I was trying to process what had just happened. If my mother, God rest her soul, had done what I'd just done, would I have been embarrassed? It's 9 p.m. I marvel at the number of white faces crowding the Brooklyn A train as we passed Nostrand Avenue. I exited the Gentrification Express and made my way up the M.C. Ursher staircase of the Utica Avenue station. If I survive the steps, I treat myself to a quick drink, an appetizer, and call it a night. Successfully topside, I saw a martini in my future. The restaurant, Kumquat, not the real name, is of the new breed bedsty eateries with real flatware and not one sheet of plexiglass between me and the server. I have six receipts from Kumquat offering a 10% discount on future meals, weekends excluded, stuck on the refrigerator with a magnet that reads, all these years and still a fox. It figures I'd be here midweek without my discount coupons. No biggie. I'll have a drink and a snack and I'll be home in no time. The hostess seated me and I waited and waited. I scanned the room, no wait staff in sight. Earlier this week, daylight savings snatched an hour, and tonight in kumquat time was still evaporating. I did the crane neck index finger at half-mast gesture and got the distracted attention of the hostess. Are there any waiters on duty? 
Yes, she'll be right over. What's the soup of the day? I'll go find out. As she left, I thought, you'll go find out. It's almost closing time and you don't know the soup du jour? I cleared my phone of 15 emails and decided to forego my drink by the time the hostess returned and announced, black bean with kale, how does that sound? Good, so that's what you'll have? I nodded yes. Three emails later, my waitress appeared. I'm Kira, would you like something to drink? Well, when I came in, I did, but now, no. That's more head grumbling there. No, thank you, Kira. I'll just have some soup. The hostess may have put in my order. She mentioned the black bean with kale. I'll put that in for you now. Sounds like more waiting. I picked up my phone to quiet the restless toe tapping in my head. Two emails later, my soup was on the table. It was indeed black bean and kale, but mammoth chunks of chicken jostled for room in the huge white bowl. I'm not complaining because a mass of smoked poultry lurked under every piece of kale. If I were still a practicing semi-vegetarian, I'd have been outraged by the surfeit of fowl in what had sounded like a hearty vegan potage. I forged through the gumbo with gusto, but pieces of chicken relentlessly mocked me from the enormous bowl. After seating two men, the hostess passed within arm's length and noticed my finger again at half-mast. I say, the soup had chicken, lots and lots of chicken. She paused perplexed. I'm not complaining, it's just that you said black bean with kale and the soup had lots of chicken. She fixed her face and said, yes, there's chicken in it, but that's the way it's written up. Black bean with kale. No problem, I'll take my check. Bam, Kira materialized at my table. How was the soup? Actually, it was very good, but there was a lot of chicken in it. It was more like chicken with black beans and kale. Well, there's chicken in it, but that's the way it's written up. Black bean with kale. Anything else? No, thank you, Kira. Have a good night. She placed the check on my table and went into hiding. Six dollars for that giant bowl of soup with 53 cents added for tax. No problem. Just above the discount incentive on the receipt was the suggested gratuity. 16%, leave a dollar and eight. 20%, leave a dollar 20. To spite, just to spite the blacks or bad tippers stereotype, I went all out and left a dollar 25 on the table. I'll pay the hostess at the door with a 20 and get on home. Well, she had been at the door when I rose from my table, but where was the hostess now? No Kira either, so I approached the bartender. I'd like to pay my check. Her face said, this is not my job. Her mouth said, I'll get your waitress. I checked messages until Kira returned from the hidden world where servers, well, hide. From behind the bar, she handed me two fives, three ones, returned my receipt, and went back into hiding. Now, the receipt total read 653, and I had $13 in hand. I have math anxiety, so several times I used my fingers to confirm I was short 47 cents. I offered the bartender my receipt and the money. I'm short 47 cents change. She sighed. Since the waiters don't carry nickels and dimes, they just round up. That's when one of the voices in my head, Penny Pincher, shouted, what the fuck? 
That bitch just took money out of the cash register. Don't tell me there's not 47 cents in there. I ignored Penny's outburst and quietly said, I'm short my change. She sighed. I'll call your waitress. When Kira appeared barside, I calmly said, I'm short. I'm short my 47 cents change. I kid you not. Kira tilted her head and said, we round up. Now, I'll admit, I'm still catching up to the 21st century, but when did rounding up your bill become the norm? You round up without mentioning it to the customer? Kira set her jaw, veiled her eyes, but not her incredulous tone. You want me to break a dollar? Penny Pincher began stomping her feet, rocking her neck, and looking for the nearest exit out of my head to throttle Kira. I calmly replied, yes. For a reality check, I complained to the bearded brother sitting at the bar. I'm short 47 cents because they rounded up. I want my change. From behind a shield of beef, lettuce, and bun, he murmured, if that's what you want. Penny Pincher ignored the hint of dismissal dripping from his burger. In an effort to rile up the other voices in my head, Penny Pincher started to chant, it's my money, it's my money. Kira appeared before the other voices could pick up the mantra. She counted out 47 cents in coin and with a sullen thump placed them and a dollar on the bar. This is yours. I gave you a generous tip. Did you? Kira shot down my feeble attempt to reason with a weight person I would likely encounter again. Seven cents short, I pushed Penny Pincher and Kira's dollar aside. I palmed the 40 cents and made my way into the night. Did I miss the news flash? Restaurants agree to round up your bill. Who gets the profit? Is it shared by the staff or goes straight to the owner? And why did Kira ask befuddled, you want me to break a dollar for you? Hell yes, bitch, if it means I get my money. Penny Pincher shouted from the corner of my mind where she sat washing pennies plucked from restroom floors. Oh my God, oh my God. Like, did you see how many times I was gonna like burst out <laughs> laughing and I had to just like hold it in? Thank you. Oh my God. So if somebody wants to get in touch with your fabulousness and uh, find out where you're going to be performing uh, next, but like in general, people want to find out about you and where you're gonna be, where do they go? They can check me out on Facebook at Rhonda Handsome Comedy, and that's like a handsome man without the D, or on Twitter at Rhonda Handsome. So once again, please mention when the, the show airs, the, uh, the serious show. Oh, the Tell Me Everything. Tell Me Everything. John Fugelsang show airs 2 to 5 p.m. weekdays, and it's Handsome Mondays when I'm there on Monday, 2 to 5 p.m. with John Fugelsang and the great Frank Conniff. So in closing, I always ask uh, this one question of everybody that I interview. Oak so, tree. Yeah, huh? <laughs> Oak tree? I thought you were going to say, well, if you could be a tree. No, <laughs> no, that's, no. An old, that's an old no. Barbara Walters. No, 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 no. So if you could say one thing to the child or youth sitting in their room on a park bench, swing at the edge of a train track, wherever they are, where they go to think. And this child has the audacity to aspire to be something more 
than what others may think they have a right to expect or deserve to be, what would you tell them? Believe in yourself. Trust in everything that is good in yourself. Work hard and be generous as much as you can. Words of wisdom from Titi Ronda. That's right. Thank you for being, I feel like we were the two Titis over here. Thank you for being on Fish Out of Agua. I love it. Thank you Hug so much. Hug <laughs> She was a sex fiend I met her in a hotel lobby Masturbating with a magazine She said, how'd you like to waste some time And I could not resist When I saw little Nikki grind
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Prince with Darling Nikki from Purple Rain in 1984. Another song that Rhonda handpicked for her episode. And guess what, kids? That's our show. Oh, my God. I can't believe another show is in the can. Yes, this has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And I have an announcement to make. I want to invite the entire world to come to Radio Free Brooklyn's December show, December Christmas show on Monday, next Monday, December 18th at 7 p.m. This one is hosted by Elan Danzinger, who runs the Lost and Rewound show, and it features music from a lot of people, none of whom I can remember now. I'm sorry, I only remember the storytellers. One of whom is David Lawson, and the other one is Amber Drea, who you will hear on a future episode. Once again, that's Monday, December 18th, 7 p.m. at the Footlight, 465 Seneca Avenue in Ridgewood. Tickets are just $5, and stay around for the New York Town Show immediately afterwards. Okay, we're going to close with the last of Rhonda's pick. It's, again, from Outcast. It's from their Speaker Box with three X's album, The Love Below, in 2003. And it's one of my favorite party songs of all time. Hey, yeah! So stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, kids. And we'll see you next week. Then what makes, 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 then what makes,